Um, but Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, has to do with giving and receiving. And I thought, this is a good verse to read in this holiday where, where so much of what we are doing right now is thinking about giving and receiving gifts. And so it says this, it's the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2. So when you give... To the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that they have their reward in full. Verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. And God, we tell you that that we want you to convict us of the, the way that we give, especially the way that we give to the needy. God, would you allow us to give with clean hearts? God, would you allow us and encourage us? God, would you even convict us of, of the ways in which we give? God, may they be holy, pleasing, and acceptable to you. May, be, may we all be your giving stewards. May we be people and individuals who are known for extravagant giving and, and giving in secret. God, we praise you. We, we worship you as our Savior, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. And everyone screamed, Amen. Um, so yeah, this whole giving in secret thing is pretty cool. And I think as American cultures, um, especially as like high school, I know most of us aren't in high school, but we're, most of you are in college. But even like this college, um, uh, just culture of like doing things in secret, getting a bunch of people to go do something in secret, usually doesn't involve giving. It usually involves pranking. And I found this um, picture online of someone's office cubicle that everything is covered in tinfoil. And we just do that, don't we? I mean, we all all have probably been a part of a prank or have been pranked on where someone has obviously taken hours, like a team of people have taken hours to do a prank just so the person being pranked upon can walk in an office and go, oh, great, look what I have to clean up. Um, and so you're like, yeah, we got you, you idiot. You're so dumb. We tinfoiled your whole office. You goob. And it's like, why do we do that? Why do we spend hours and hours and hours doing something that someone else just has to clean up? Wouldn't it be cool if our culture at New Life, and I think the Mills culture, I don't think the Mill is very pranky. I, I've been to other youth groups where, we're, where the whole culture is like, they're always pranking each other like at every instance. And I'm glad that the Mill isn't uh, overly pranky in what we do. But isn't it awesome? I've heard stories around New Life of people doing things in secret and never telling people um, what they did. So it's a secret thing done. Um, and, and, and something good is done instead of a prank that's done. Like Brady Boyd was uh, telling a story of um, a cold winter's day when it snowed. He lives on the Palmer Divide. It snowed, uh, I think, a foot or more. Uh, he, I think the story was last year. He woke up and he was, you know, you have to go out and shovel your whole driveway. And yet someone, maybe a whole team of people, maybe some of you, I don't know, went over, found out where he lived, went over to his house in the middle of the night and shoveled his whole driveway and walkway, and he woke up. And the, the blessing that, that is, it's like, wow, someone snuck over here in the night. That's kind of creepy. But they, they shoveled 
And it, all this work got done. And there, I've, I've heard, maybe this is one of you, or maybe you have a story about um, this, this person who I'm calling. Uh, no one else has named him this yet, so I want to give him the name or her the name. But the $50 bandit that, that is going around New Life, because I've heard this story happen three times now of someone at New Life will just go to reach in their pocket and they like, wait a minute, I have a $50 bill. I don't carry $50 bills and I don't keep money in this pocket. Someone must have like hugged me or like came up to me and instead of like stealing my wallet they put money into my pocket because they heard of a need i had or someone will go out to their car a new life church parking lot and find a note on their car and there's money in there and and this i think it's been this last month or two that a lot of times it's the amount of fifty dollars so one of you maybe is the fifty dollar bandit that has been running around new life handing out fifty dollar bills which is just like that's pretty cool to, to be able to like sneak around and do something good and Instead of doing something prankish like this, and I, I was going to tell one more story of this is a mill mission trip, a, a team. Maybe some of you recognize some of the individuals here. This is a, a mill mission trip back in 2005. We went to Nepal, and um, and it was it was supposed to be this trip where we flew. We went to Nepal, flew to Nepal, and then we were going to fly into the Himalayas on a little prop plane, do some mission work, hand out Bibles and some music CDs in their own language to kind of begin to to plant the seeds to to eventually plant a church in this uh, far off rural um, Himalayan village. Um, and that's what we were doing with the missionary who we were partnering with. But it turned out to be the, the shenanigans where we couldn't get the plane. So what we did end up doing was paying a ton of money for a one-way helicopter ride up into this Himalayan village. And the only way to get back home was to walk um, like every day with backpacks on to get out of this village to get back to a road and civilization. We had to walk like 15 miles a day. We had to cross this 18,000 foot pass, which if you've ever climbed a 14er and been like dead tired, imagine climbing another couple thousand feet. Um, that's what this day was like. It was just a horrible, a horrible mission trip in, in the sense that it was so physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausting. But I think the one thing that was just so awesome that we did as a team is that while we were still here at New Life, before we went to Denver Airport to go to Nepal, we picked each other's names out of a hat and we said that throughout this whole mission trip, we are going to be each other's secret angels. That's what we called it. It was kind of a dumb name, but anyways. Um, and so what you were supposed to do is every day you were supposed to do something nice and, and seek totally secretively, like a secret angel. I know, dumb name. Um, for the person whose name you chose. And so I just remember this one day where we, I think it might have been the 18,000 foot pass day. We get down from this pass after a full day of hiking with a backpack on. We get to uh, a shelter. They didn't have working showers. They had to go to sleep um, just sweaty and gross. And, uh, I remember like our budget was really short cause the helicopter ride cost us so much. So we actually didn't have enough money to buy the whole team enough food. So we like, we went to bed after hiking 15 miles and sweaty and gross and like underfed going to bed. And somebody, my secret angel had put like a note on my pillow with scriptures and a snicker bar. Can you imagine just like, oh my gosh, angels do exist. This secret angel, 
It's just, and so this whole idea of like giving and giving in secret is I think a part of this holiday and Christmas. It has a lot to do with this guy who we are going to talk about today. His name is St. Nicholas. And so we're going to talk about his story and how that enters into the Christmas story and this whole season of giving and giving in secret and how, um, of course, we have Santa Claus who comes from St. Nicholas and that whole history and tradition. But um, before we do that and just start talking about St. Nicholas, a few announcements. Um, uh, let's see. If you're new to the Mill Sunday Schools, announcement number one. If you're new, uh, we have on, on your table should be a visitor card. If you want to fill that out and bring it to the nice people as you leave, um, out in that, that, that black curtain, that, there'll be people back there as you leave. And you can give them your card with as much or as little information as you want to give us. And we'll give you a CD. It's a worship CD from our Friday night meetings, which if you're new, you may not know that the Mill is our main meeting on Friday nights. And Sunday School is more or less like our nerdy, teachy Sunday school as a part of the ministry, our main service of the mill, which is college and 20-somethings at New Life. So um, hopefully that's enough to get you started if you're new here and want to get more involved and connected. Um, uh, Also, uh, because of the uh, the holidays coming up, Christmas and New Year's, both Christmas and New Year's Day fall on Sundays. And so the Mill Sunday School, so this doesn't apply for a couple weeks because Christmas is still two weeks away. But we won't have the Mill Sunday School on Christmas Day or on New Year's Day, mainly to give our leaders the days off so that they can celebrate uh, with their families or whatever. So um, that's just the two announcements. I think that's all we have for announcements. So let's jump right into this uh, talk about the real Christmas uh, with a quick review. Um, if you're taking notes today, the, the notes, we had some problems printing that we call this a skillet. So we had problems. So the notes aren't on here. So the first piece of notes, if you're taking notes, is just to do a quick review of what we're talking about this month. And uh, there's basically three Sundays of Sunday school this month because the way it works out. Last week, we talked about paganism and Christianity. And you may have left here depressed, like, gosh, I didn't know that so many of the things that we do around Christmas, like Christmas trees and Santa and... And uh, what else did we talk about? Um, I can't remember. U-logs, yeah. Um, I'm having, anyways, we talked about some other things that have very pagan, oh, the date, the reason why we celebrate on December 25th, the date of Christmas. Some other things that have very, very pagan traditions that have kind of crept into our Christian calendar and Christian traditions. And so you might have left here thinking, gosh, Christmas is a Satan worshiper day. Um, Like just all this pagan stuff has crept into Christmas, and maybe we shouldn't even celebrate Christmas at all. Hopefully you didn't leave thinking that exaggerated. Um, I'm sure you didn't, actually. But um, that's what we talked about last week. So this week, we're going to talk about Christ, kind of the Christian Christian traditions that have worked themselves into uh, Christmas, which will hopefully leave us um, much more encouraged this week. And then next week, we'll talk about the real Christmas, and we'll read the story, and we'll talk about uh, the 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 nativity scene, and uh, read the stories in Matthew and Luke and refer to them. So, um, shall we talk about this guy, St. Nicholas, really quick? 
His story is pretty cool. Um, like I just mentioned, uh, actually I just mentioned last week, and I kind of referred to it just a second ago, Santa has some pagan traditions involved in his history, and, and that has to do with, um, I think, the god Odin that we talked about last week, how he would, um, he's a German Norse god of Yule, and, and some of these things get all mixed and intertwined, and so if you've heard different things, or if you've researched other things, well, it, it, your stories may be true as well. There's a lot of mixing and melting of these traditions, but Odin, this, this Norse god, it kind of becomes a Germanic, uh, old German god of Yule. Um, he would fly around at night in the wintertime, and if, if a kid left hay and carrots for Odin's horse that potentially was flying around, um, Odin could come down the chimney and his horse could get fed, and then Odin would know that the kids were good, so Odin would give the kids gifts, maybe put them in a sock. And so you could kind of see that maybe some of those traditions that, that we would say, oh, that's Santa. Like, well, that might be based upon this pagan god, uh, and so on and so forth, which has led some Christians to say, uh, maybe Santa isn't a good thing. Maybe, the, maybe it's no coincidence that Santa and Satan are spelled so similarly. Has anyone else ever noticed that? Which leads into funny pic. I found this pic. This is kind of a rabbit trail, and then we'll go into another rabbit trail to get back to St. Nicholas. But I found this picture, and I'm about to show you a picture that I just think, just realized that I'm being funny and showing you something funny. Um, it's so funny. It's a little girl with a Santa hat. <laughs> a little girl with a Santa hat just smiling holding up a picture that says, I love Santa, and a little picture of Santa, but she spelled Santa wrong, and it just says, I love Satan. That's just hor- It's just horrible. But anyways, Christians, there, 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 is, there are Christians um, that, that, don't, that don't have anything to do with Santa because of the pagan traditions, but maybe there's, there's Christians, I know of some Christian families, who really don't want anything to do with Santa, but they'll tell their kids about St. Nicholas, this guy. And so this guy, St. Nicholas, if you're taking down notes, he was, uh, a lot of this is based upon tradition and oral um, stories that have been passed on. Supposedly, uh, the, the real St. Nicholas, a real human being who lived in history, uh, was born in 288 in what is today uh, Turkey, um, back then it was Asia Minor. It was part of the, uh, the Roman Empire when Christianity was having its origins, when Christianity was still a persecuted religion. And uh, St. Nicholas, supposedly a real guy. I say supposedly because there's just a lot of, you know, we didn't have firsthand eyewitness accounts of St. Nicholas or just Nicholas um, back then. And, and so a lot of this is kind of traditions that, that may just, and there's the, the reason why they say, there's like two or three different stories of St. Nicholas that kind of get melted together. And so you're like, well, which tradition is actually true? Well, we're not really sure. Which, to go on to a tiny rabbit trail of, of what we have in the Gospels, that the story of Jesus, we have four eyewitness or someone who interviewed eyewitness accounts of the, of the stories of Jesus. And so we're very sure that, you know, the, the history, the things that Jesus did were done, whereas things, the stories of St. Nicholas are, we just have to realize that that's maybe based more 
more upon oral traditions and folklore. Not sure. But anyways, his story, um, hopefully um, some of this is historically correct. And there, there usually is some history involved in the traditions that get passed on um, in such a way. But St. Nicholas, born in what is today Turkey in 288. Um, I'm going to say this statement and then try to explain because St. Nicholas, the story of St. Nick or Nicholas um, predates Christmas. And you're like, well, how can that be? Because Jesus was born zero-ish A.D. um, and St. Nicholas 288 A.D. So how can St. Nicholas predate Christmas? Well, it predates Christmas because people didn't start celebrating Christ's Mass, the Nativity Feast, until like the 300s. uh, If you're taking notes, I have down that in 354 is the first date in which someone, we find that Christmas, the the day in which you're celebrating Christ's birth, ends up on a Christian calendar. Um, And and so St. Nicholas is actually before the celebration of Christ's birth, which that is where we get this word Christmas. It is Christ's Mass. And Mass, if, if you uh, don't know too much about Catholicism and the Catholics, they call going to their church, they call it Mass. And I grew up Catholic, and so we always called it Mass. We, w- we would rarely say, well, let's go to church. We'd always say, let's go to Mass, because that's what they called it. And it has to do with um, the, the Latin pronunciation of go be dismissed. So the very last thing a priest would say in a Latin Catholic service is, uh, I wrote it down here, le, le mista s, and so they get this word mass um, from the dismissal, which kind of, I don't know that this is the origin, the etymology of the, the word mass, but it seems like you would have to be pretty bored in church to call church, go be dismissed. You're just waiting for that moment, right? And so maybe some of you are like, yeah, I wish we called it that now, I'm bored. Anyways, Another rabbit trail, before we get back to St. Nicholas, is this whole idea of mass and, and the Catholics. And um, I, I think, you know, we, so this is just another joke. Hopefully I'm not being too silly today. But um, I just thought this, I, I told Erica, my wife, this last night, and she didn't think it was that funny. So maybe you won't either. But I was just giggling yesterday thinking about this, that we as Christians put bumper stickers on our car that say, keep Christ in Christmas. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be sweet if I was Catholic? And then I could put this bumper sticker on my car <laughs> that says keep mass in Christmas. I kid. Anyways, um, going back to St. Nicholas. Um, here's, here's a picture of St. Nicholas doing his famous thing that I'm about to tell you that he did. So St. Nicholas, um, a real person in history, born 288-ish um, in Asia Minor on a seacoast town. He was a very wealthy individual because his parents were wealthy. He was born to a very wealthy Christian family. But then as a kid, um, his, both of his parents die and he's left as an orphan. Little Nick or Nicholas, uh, the, the Greek word is uh, Nike, the, the Greek word word for victory. And so that, that's his name. He's named after victory. And so here's little Nick, uh, an orphan. Both of his parents has, have died, but the, the, he inherits a lot of money from them because they were rich. And so he has a lot of money. He's an orphan. He's being raised by priests in an orphanage. He has a ton of money. He's surrounded by poverty. And so as a little kid, he's trying to give away money. He sees someone who's very poor and tries to give a, an adult, I imagine, money. And the adult's like, no, I can't accept money from a little kid, a little orphan kid. I couldn't possibly accept that. So he tries to give away money, but finds that he can't really give away his money. And so he realizes that he has to secretively 
give away his money. And as the story goes, he, he finds a family in need. The family is a father and three daughters. And uh, I guess the father's name is Shem. He's a fisherman, very, very poor. He has three daughters. And in their culture, to get married, uh, the, the daughter's family would have to pay a dowry, a very expensive amount of money, sometimes up to a full year's wage, a dowry to the, the husband, the groom's family. And so that's just how they did it in their culture at the time, supposedly according to this story, which uh, is the story of St. Nick. So St. Nick's a little boy. He sees this family in need a father and three daughters. They want to get married, but there's no dowry money. And so what are these three girls going to do? They're going to be widows. They're going to be poor. They're going to be unmarried. They're going to be uh, potentially have to go into prostitution, just horrible situations because they don't have a dowry. And so Nicholas thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll give the girls money for their dowry. And so he thought, "Uh, I can't just leave it on the doorstep of this family secretively, you know, three years worth of salary because someone else could come along and take it. And he thought, oh, I could sneak in and just put it on the inside of the house or throw it through a window or something. But then he thought, oh, well, maybe the dad, Shem, will get the money and maybe it won't go to the girls. Maybe he'll buy a new boat instead of the dowry. I don't know. As the story goes, so he thought, I need to give the money to the girls. So supposedly this is the picture of him crawling into the window. And what he does is he places a ton of cash into each girl's one of their socks, or maybe both socks in some stories. I don't know. So he fills the girls' stockings with cash so that they can have a dowry, so that they can get married, so that they can live happily ever, ever after. And so that's the story. That's like the big, the first big story of Nicholas as a little kid. And he, he grows up with the priests in this orphanage. He becomes a priest himself. And as the story goes, he keeps doing uh, these secret acts of huge gifts um, around his city and other cities. He eventually becomes a bishop of, uh, I, I think I forget which city he became a bishop of, but the, the idea of him becoming a bishop and he must have wore bishop's clothes. And as he got older, all these stories would be you know, told about Nicholas, this bishop, how he used to give huge gifts in secret. And maybe they retold the story of his first big gift to the, the three girls that were in need of a dowry. And so then we have this image of a bishop, an old bishop, probably with a beard, wearing long flowing canonical robes that bishops used to wear. And so then, you know, as tradition goes on and on, we have the Dutch name for St. Nicholas, which is Sinterklaas. Sinterklaas? Yeah, I think I said that right. Um, Which we as English speakers kind of mispronounce that into Santa Claus. And so our kind of our tradition, our history of Santa Claus is a mispronunciation of mis pronunciation, how ironic, of the word St. Nicholas in Dutch. And so that is kind of the, the Christian version of Santa Claus, this, this very, um, this giver who would give secretively um, and how awesome that story is. And so, you know, you, would, you could give a gi- big gift to someone secretively and instead of saying a secret angel gave it or a little birdie gave it, you could give it in the name of St. Nicholas and you wouldn't get the credit, but maybe this St. Nicholas character would get the credit. And St. Nicholas, as, as, as some of you know, Catholics celebrate the the holidays of uh, saints on various days, like St. Patrick, of course, is March 17th. St. Nicholas's Day is in December, which would go along with the celebrations of Christ's Mass, which continues to um, this next guy, if you're taking notes, we're kind of changing subjects right now, of Chris Kringle. Which, how many of you think Chris Kringle is Santa's first and last name? 
Isn't that what you were told? Yeah, raise your hand. You know it. You know it. Um, so that, that's Santa's first and last name as, as American Santa Claus traditions go. But it's really not. The idea of uh, Kris Kringle comes from the Middle Ages during the Protestant Reformation. Um, we have to give credit to this guy. Does anybody know who this is? Yeah, Martin Luther. A lot of you knew that. And so if you didn't know that and you're looking around like, gosh, there's a lot of nerds in here. How do they know that? Well, you're just right. There's a lot of nerds in here. They just know stuff. Um, So this is Martin Luther, not to be confused with King Jr., but the original Martin Luther. So he gets credit for um, during the Protestant Reformation as people were protesting and reforming the Catholic Church and taking away some of the things that, that maybe we don't do as Protestants even to this day, but Catholics do, like just kind of the... I don't know if it's the veneration of the saints or just the celebration of the saints. Like some Catholics, kind of folk Catholics, might say, oh, if you're, if you're in a desperate situation, if you're in a lost cause, you would pray to St. Jude. If you want your house to sell, you're trying to sell your house, you could dig a hole in the ground and put a little figurine of, does anybody know, St. Joseph and bury him, and then your house will sell because St. Joseph will be looking over you. And so a lot of credit is given to the saints in, in some Catholic circles. And so Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, they were trying to get rid of some of the saints and saying, you know, why should this saint, St. Nicholas, get all this credit and get all this glory during the Christmas festivities when Jesus should get the credit during Christmas because it's Christ's Mass and we should be celebrating Christ's coming and baby Jesus. So, um, so in Old German, the pronunciation of uh, Christ the child is Christ Kindl, which of course gets once again this English pronunciation of, a, of another word, we just say Chris Kringle, but it actually means the Christ child. And so what Martin Luther had this great idea, which just seems like a great idea back then, but we kind of look at it and be like, this is creepy. I mean, just look at the picture. I don't know why his little ceramic hands are gone. Just adds to the creepiness of little baby Jesus. But, but he thought, um, and so this kind of became a uh, tradition in, in the Middle Ages and, and then on, and um, of instead of saying, oh, St. Nicholas is giving secret gifts, you would be like, yeah, little baby Jesus, he came in, and he's the one that gave the gifts. And so, like, tradition goes that, you know, all the kids would go to a different room, and the parents would go to the different room, and they'd listen, and, of course, uh, another parent, uh, an adult, would go in and, and place the gifts and then ring a bell, but then they would say, listen, little baby Jesus is in the next room placing gifts, and he's about to ring a bell. Do you hear it? And then ding ling ling and then so the bell would ring and be like, yeah, baby Jesus, he left us some gifts. And so you'd go running in and open gifts because little baby Jesus, that's what he does. He goes around and gives you Christmas presents. And we kind of looked at, at that, at least I do as Americans, and we're like, okay, they tried to fix, you know, this, this glory being given to St. Nicholas and place it upon Jesus, but it just ends up being kind of creepy, don't you think? Like little like, what? A little baby Jesus running around giving gifts? That's just scary. Um, so anyways, um, that's how we get the, the, the term or the idea of Chris Kringle. It's actually a mispronunciation of Christ, or Christ Kindle or Kinder and the Old German. And, and so that's, that's where that comes from. And so this whole idea of the, I mean, those are two kind of Christian traditions, St. Nicholas and the Christ child uh, around our festivities of what we do as Americans today. And that's much more just like Christ-centered, at least much more than, than say, Odin and some of these pagan traditions that have crept into our Christmas celebrations, which leaves us kind of to this question of Santa Claus. And so I want to give you a discussion
discussion question, because I think discussion questions is kind of our tradition as Sunday school to, to discuss things as, as groups. So you, I want you to get into a group. If you're at a small table, just join with a bigger table. Just turn to somebody and, and kind of ask them this. It's a two-part question. So listen until I explain the whole parts before you start breaking into groups. But first of all, hopefully a very easy question. Did you believe in Santa as a kid? You talk about that. And then is Santa naughty or nice? Which I, what I mean by that is, of course, is he, is, does the idea of Santa, is he a good thing or kind of a bad thing? And so if you're, I want to assign you, just because I think that's fun to just assign you and then kind of make a case. We'll, I hate the word debate, but we'll discuss this. So if you're on the left side of the room, which is over here, my, your left, um, Try to defend Santa Claus and be like, yeah, Santa Claus just brings joy to kids and he's a good guy and he has Christian uh, um, kind of traditions that have brought upon his tradition. Um, And if you're on the right side of the room, kind of accuse Santa of evil and horrible taking away from Christ on Christmas. Okay, so two parts, just first part, just did you believe in Santa? Then get into the ideas of Santa. Ready? Cassette, go. All right, um, I'm probably cutting your discussion short. How many of you believed in Santa or still believe in Santa? How many of you did not ever? This whole time, wow. Um, okay, um, so let's, let's, I hate the word debate. Let's not debate. Let's discuss. And even because I just assigned you sides, we can't be that animate about it anyways. But uh, so the left side of the room, which is this, I, I always have problems with my left and right anyways, but then I have to reverse it because I'm facing you. So it's really confusing. So the left side of the room, right? That's you guys. So you tried to defend Santa. Let's hear some defense. So I have a mic here. I'll, I'll come to you. So d- defend Santa. Maybe we'll take two comments and then we'll go over here and we'll accuse Santa. Okay. Santa in and of himself, obviously not real. He's not... In- I know, I just shattered Whoa. a few, few worlds. <laughs> but he's relatively benign. He's neither bad nor good. Um, his origins are somewhat questionable, but the modern-day incarnation of Santa, as we know him... Incarnation of Santa? <laughs> just roll with it. Just you, yeah. <laughs> He's, he's not bad. He's, he's good, but everything in moderation. You can't obviously yeah. take it too far, and it becomes the focus of the season. Growing up as a kid, Santa in our house would come fill our stockings and give us one present. And then the rest of the presents came from mom and dad? Yeah, the rest of the presents so came like, from mom and dad. Let's yeah. Santa. So, so Santa wasn't that guy. big of a deal. So I think everything in moderation, Santa's fine. He encourages goodwill towards others. You know, yeah. people who normally are jerks and don't give presents, at least give presents, you know, and do nice Santa's things name. to people, I think, inspired by Santa. So <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Anybody else want to defend Santa over here? Nobody? No more defense before Santa starts getting accused? Okay, thank you. Yes, Levi. Defend, defend Santa before we accuse him. Thank you. All right, I think I'd go back to the verse that we, verses that we started with. Was it Matthew 6, 1 through 4? Yeah. It's the whole model of giving. And so he's still human. So as much as he may be a pagan tradition, it's still a quality that we can all admire. Yeah. So you can give something huge to your friend or to your parents, whoever. And <coughs> instead of getting the credit for yourself, you could just say Santa did. And we all know that, well, Santa may or may not be true. I, I don't know. Um, 
Okay, so yeah, we uh, uh, defended Santa a little bit. We'll bring it over here. The, the hands are raising for uh, the accusations of Santa. All right, go easy now. <laughs> I don't know why I'm always nervous when I do this. Okay, um, well, I know remembering as a little kid, you're getting your hopes up that Santa's going to come in and leave tons of presents. And I did grow up in a Christian family. Mm-hmm. But when Christmas came, the focus on Christ was only when we were at service. And so... (laughs) Get on with the real stuff. Where's Santa? Exactly. So (laughs) the whole aspect of Santa, if you ask any little kid, they only want Santa around because they're going to get gifts. Yeah. So it really, in turn, is becoming an internal focus on me, me, me. I want this. I want that. And that's kind of added into our consumerism of the day. And that's why I hate shopping this time of year because Because it's just chaotic. Because everyone is. So... I think Santa really um, promotes selfishness and greed. For the kids that believe yeah, in it. Yeah, like, and then me, the parents me. eventually have to break their hearts, or somebody's going to break their hearts and say, Santa's not real, and yeah. you just totally dashed their dreams. So what are they going to believe in if you've been lying to them for years? Yeah, <laughs> it's brutal. Oh, and Santa and, has slaves. <laughs> and Santa has slaves? He does, I It is? Slave labor. <laughs> I'm going to give the, the mic to Emily. She has a little baby, a little Avery here. So we'll, let, let's listen to what she Well, has. in accusation of Santa, yes. he's the biggest busybody ever because he's into oh, everybody's dang. business. <laughs> and he's incredibly judgmental. And if he That's thinks you're judge. good enough, he'll give you a gift. And if he doesn't think you're good, he gives you coal instead. And um, he also, um, so in addition to being judgmental and a busybody, and he's kind of like a peeping Tom, and we even sing about it. He, knows if he been, sees yeah. you when you're sleeping. That's just he creepy. knows when you're awake. Who watches So he's kind of creepy. Yeah. And we could, we could almost go so far as to say he's into insider trading because he, he makes this big buzz all about the holiday season and then gets in with all these companies like Lexus and, uh, and Apple and does, yeah, makes you buy things just to, in the name of Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I see, uh, I'll let Nick and then Josh, uh, I see other hands, but these guys had their hands up first, I think. So go ahead, Nick. <laughs> well, I just got two scriptures that I want to use. Um, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. And also, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether Santa's bad or good. Uh, but I just want you to think, does it truly represent Christ? Does it, does it water down the focus of what Christmas is all about? You know, it's just like Easter. Christ died, so, you know, why, why do we go Easter egg hunting? That's just yeah. kind of crazy. Uh, but I just want you all to think about that. Does it truly, does Santa Claus, is it, I mean, is it conforming to this world? Is it being conformed into the image of this world? Or are we being transformed through the Word of God by renewing our mind? So I'm not going to sit here and debate whether it's bad or good. Uh, if I had a kid, I would tell my kid that Santa's not real and Christ is the reason for Christmas. Though the world celebrates it, we don't have to be in, involved of the affairs of the world. A good soldier separates himself from the affairs of the world. So just y'all just think about that, and y'all yeah, can make the choice. Thanks, Josh. <clears throat> Which I think leads us right to um, the, the next point that I had was just the, the bigger idea of Christ and Christmas. And I think it's fun to have the Santa debate like we just did. But I think ultimately we as Christians do have a very huge responsibility 
In this time, we have an opportunity and a responsibility in this time. And I just have a a picture of a church. And I think people, individuals, I even read this article that came out um, on the 5th of December. The article was why atheists celebrate Christmas. And there's, it was all these atheists being interviewed because they go to church or bring their kids to church around Christmas and just sit there respectfully because that's just, I think they're, the, the, the main gist of the article was, was just, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to church on Christmas. And so just like, you know, so many people yesterday and the day before came to Wonderland here at New Life Church. So many people will on Christmas Eve come to New Life Church. So many people all over this country will come to churches. And the message, if we make the message of Christ clear that Jesus is the reason for the season that we, we, we do celebrate Christ and we as Christians, we, we do, I think we should, you know, taking the middle ground, whether you teach your kids about Santa or not, I think we should downplay Santa in our play of Christ and our communication of Christ. And so, so many Christians today, I keep hearing about this over and over again. Daniel Groth, he talked about it at the mill. I think Brady mentioned it last week. He, he might mention it this week as well. Glenn Packiam just loves the idea and he talks about it at Sunday night. They're fully celebrating. Um, the, the concept of Advent. And if you don't know what Advent is, um, it's kind of, in some ways, it's a kind of an alternative to Christmas. Um, it, Advent in the church calendar did come after Christmas. But I think it's, it's Christians throughout history trying to redeem the holiday from pagan roots and redeem the holiday from the, the, the way in which the world celebrates versus the way Christians should celebrate. And I was going to explain Advent, but I was watching videos and I found this video. So I'm going to show you a two minute, literally a two minute video clip. It's called Advent in two minutes. And I, th- I think the, the video clip does a much better job explaining Advent than I could in two minutes. It's, it's a lot of text. so You have to read very quickly, but um, it's, it's, I think it's very interesting. So we'll explain Advent and then we'll talk about it. Okay, ready? Video time. Do you get it now? Do you understand Advent? So it's this, this time of year, and maybe you've heard, I think this video for me just, just summarized, because I hear Glenn, and, and it just men- people mentioning Advent. I'm like, what is it? And this video really helped me just explain, oh, Advent is the four Sundays before Christmas, and it's, it's, it's like Advent time, and you, you light candles as a tradition, and it's more about celebrating Christ's coming, what he came 2,000 years ago as, as a human being, but it's also about his coming future and hoping and waiting for his next coming. And so the very word Advent um, in the Latin means uh, coming, um, and which is kind of a, the, the Greek word is the parousia, which is um, the receiving, the arrival, uh, which has all these implications of the second coming of Christ, which is just a very interesting concept to think about that we as Christians living in 2011, think of, we, we celebrate Christ's coming 2,000 years ago, and yet we are at this time in history where he is going to come again. And so with the same celebration that we celebrate his coming, that he already came, we celebrate his future arrival, and we wait, and we expect, and we hope for that. And that's really, I think, what Advent tries to, tries to be in our lives in this, this period of excitement before Christmas is saying, in some ways, no to the American commercialism of, of buying and running around, but let's, let's be thoughtful, let's, let's wait, let's almost celebrate the waiting and the expectation of Christ's future coming as well as when we celebrate Christ's past 
coming. And um, I, th- I just think it's a, it's a beautiful tradition. I think we as Christians can talk more about it. I think I'll talk more about it next week as well, the, the Advent, and, and bring in the ideas of what really happened in the manger and, and why Christ coming as, as a baby is so important for us to, to realize that him as a child, him as an adult, his, him as the our Savior that died and then rose again, why he is, he is our hope, he is our salvation. That's how God had it planned out, um, and, and that's what happened. And we, we wait and we hope for the future, and we celebrate what has already happened. And so I want to conclude with um, the, the, just reading for you um, uh, one of the Christmas carols that we often sing around Christmas time that, that kind of has this Advent style to it where it's, where it's both and. It's both the celebration of Christ coming as a child 2,000 years ago, while it also has um, implications of he's also still, you know, going to come a second time for his believers, for his bride. I think uh, I was going to read Joy to the World, which is, I'll let you think about that song next time you think about it, or go look at the lyrics and consider that that song is probably more to do with his second coming than his first coming which is very much this idea of Advent and celebrating both his, his past and his future coming. But I, I wanted to read uh, O Come Emmanuel because it also has implications of both. You know, we sing it as a Christmas song celebrating baby Jesus, but it also has very huge implications for the future coming of Christ. And of course, the song goes, O Come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. The next verse says, O come, thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to Israel. To thee, Israel. The third verse, or I believe it's the fourth. O come, thy key of David, come and open our wide heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Let's pray. God, as we close, as we consider um, worshiping you and, and thanking you for your coming 2,000 years ago. God, we also, in this style of Advent, um, we do have our hope set upon the future that you have not left us as orphans, but you will come back, receive your bride, the church, to yourself. God, we do wait and hope and expect in this season uh, of Advent, the season of, of Christmas, God, in this, this, this season of, of giving you the true honor and glory of, of your place in heaven, your place in our lives here on earth. God, we worship you. We, we love you. We expect you to do awesome things because we, we serve you and our hope is in you and we ultimately trust in you in this life and in the next. We worship you, Jesus. And everybody said, amen.